Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheep with him. Let's take some time to bow before the word of God right now. Our Father, we come before your word. Lord, we bow humbly before you. We know, Lord, that you give us your commandments, Lord. You gave us your love, and you exhibited your love, Lord, through your word. And, Lord, you show us, Lord, from your word what your desire is for us and how we can obey you, how we can love you more because you love us first. And so we pray that this morning as we dig into your word, Lord, that you fill our hearts with love. You fill me, Lord, with the Holy Spirit as I bring your word. Spirit of God, work among us today. Cause us to grow. Cause us to change into a likeness of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We hear stories of individuals overcoming their adversities, their trials. We all at times also undergo adversities. We all, each one of us here, undergo trials. When an individual overcome the difficulties which they face and we hear their stories, their stories inspire us. Their stories inspire us to somehow motivate us also to continue on fighting, to continue on working on ourselves to overcome our trials. Somehow listening to other people overcoming their trials, we become motivated to also overcome ours. A few years ago, with a group of believers, um, me and a few, other, uh, a few other believers, we planted a church. We called ourselves the Neighborhood Church. And by neighborhood, we meant the hood. We were literally ministering to people in the hood, or so some you know it's called the ghetto. We were ministering to people in the ghetto. The preaching pastor who was preaching and leading this church, he was coming from the hood. He came from the hood. He survived many adversities. Um, just growing up in the hood, he was gangbanging until he was um, junior high or high school. Well, he never went to uh, anywhere. I, he, he, he was not going to school, but he was gangbanging. And by the time that he was 18, he was shot two times, was stabbed five times. And God miraculously saved him and when he was going to youth authority. He would physically saved him from dying and also spiritually saved him by giving him salvation. He heard the gospel. And coming out of youth authority, he started going to a church. He started faithfully going to a church. The Spirit of God was working mightily within him. And he started faithfully serving. He actually became an elder of that church. And then he and I, we met up when I was going to that church. And we gathered together, a group of believers. We believed that God gave us a vision to reach the community that was around us. We planted a church together. His story inspired many people. Over the five years that we planted this church, hundreds of people coming from the community came to our church. They were inspired. They were challenged by what God did in his life. And they were also looking to experience the same kind of transformation. Many people who came, they also come from the same gang, alcohol, drugs, uh, gangbang background. And they were all seeking the same kind of change that this pastor experienced. I remember ministering to a man who was coming to our church, and he was inspired. He said, I'm going to roll with you guys. I'm going to come. I'm going to stay with you for as long as it takes. I'm going to, I'm in, I'm in, right? He was coming, and he, he said that he was going to follow Jesus, and he was going to uh, change. So I ministered to him. I, 
I cared for him, I provided for him, I drove him around, I did so many things for him. However, for him coming out of jail and not finding work over this period of time, not seeing that immediate change in his life, he started feeling the pressure of, of just, just, just living this world and, and not knowing what to do. So he eventually started using drugs again. And when he started using drugs, I confronted him, and he started lying about his drug use. And, and a lot of things, and, and, then, and, then, and then he started blaming me for the problem that he was facing in life. And then after that, I started calling him more and more, but then he stopped um, picking up the calls, and then eventually he just, uh, we just lost contact. What I found out was that the inspirational stories that initially inspired this person to change or even attracted this brother to come to, the, to our church did not cause this brother to change or, or even overcome the adversities that he was facing. In fact, in the five years of planting this church, I saw numerous amount of people falling in out of the drugs lifestyle. People were always Many people, most people, were destroying their lives over and over and over again. And over the five years of church planting, I realized this. People can feel momentarily inspiring by a story, but that momentary inspiration never caused people to change for real. In fact, facing adversity in this dark world, people not just from the gang background, the drugs, or, or from the ghetto background, people everywhere talking about entertainment, ministry, entertainment uh, industry, talking about media industry, talking about any industry, um, uh, aerospace that meets down the street. Everywhere, people are looking for change. People are looking for this hope. People are looking for inspiration. And people do come to a church or come to a place where they're inspired. They might be initially feeling inspired to work hard, to, to, to change, to somehow um, uh, work to overcome this adversity which they've been dealing for years in their lives. However, for most people, they do fall away deeply disappointed. Most people do not experience the transformation they're looking for. Most people fall away tired. They fall away exhausted. They fall back to the habitual pattern of their sin. The hope, they fall back to the toxic relationship that they were they were in for a number of years or ensnared them for a number of years. See, feeling or hearing a spiritual story or seeing other people change never provided the true power for themselves to change. In fact, feeling inspired never delivers. Working hard does not guarantee change because you don't know how hard you're going to work until that change comes. And what people did not realize that what truly ensnares us what truly keeps us down, what truly causes us to, to feel frustration in our lives comes from one thing and one thing alone, and that's sin. Sin is what causes us to fall. Sin is what causes us to fall away tired and exhausted. Sin is what causes us to fall back into the toxic relationships. Sin is what causes us to be ensnared by our perpetual patterns of sin habitual patterns. But change, if you're looking for change today, I guarantee you, change can only come from a person who is outside of us. And that person promised and he did actually defeat sin. Only he can change us. Only this person can truly transform us. Only this person can truly deliver us. And that's Jesus. Only Jesus can truly deliver us. He delivers us by first dying for 
our most fundamental problem, which is our sin. He died on the cross for our sin. And in dying for our sins on the cross, he paid for the penalty of our sin. And in doing so, he brings us back to relationship with God. And not only so, he gives each one of us here, if you trust and believe in Jesus, he gives each one of us here the power to say no to sin, the power to say no to temptation, and the power to live holy lives. The supernatural power to break out from this pattern of habitual sin that which you and I sometimes experience comes from Jesus. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And when we wield this power, we're delivered from the power of sin and death. We're delivered ultimately because with Jesus, we can overcome sin. And through Jesus, we can live in the power of God. So today, for each one of you guys here, if you imagine in your mind, if you're walking down the street or even just working, and you're, 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 you're living life and you're desiring some kind of change, you're desiring transformation, you see the inadequacy of your, of your life, you see the adversities that you experience daily, and you desire change in the transformation of your character, of your life, of your difficult circumstances. You desire to overcome sin. You desire to overcome the temptations that you find yourself constantly falling in and in and again. Do not today, if you listen to this message, do not expect that you can do it yourself, that you can change yourself. Nor do you, should you, or can you expect that this change is going to come from seeing other people change or hearing inspirational stories of other people. Change can only come as you establish a true and a deep relationship with Jesus. True change can only come as you establish a lasting relationship with Jesus. As you hear the Word of God today, and as you are ministered to by other people, as you build relationship with the body of Christ, remember this, true change can only come as you establish your relationship with Jesus. And some of you today are coming here, and you are wondering about this thing called Christianity. You're, you're, you're standing on the sidelines. You're wondering if you're, you're going to embrace this thing of faith in Jesus Christ. I can tell you this. If you're looking for change in your life, this message today, today that you're going to hear, it is meant for you. It is meant for you. You can learn today. All of us today can learn from Psalm 126 that only God truly delivers. Only God truly delivers. And here you're going to see the process of God's deliverance. You know God follows, follows a process of deliverance? And he's going to show us today from this passage. So pay attention to this process because if you do not know, do not understand this process, you might not walk through the process. And if you don't walk through this process of deliverance, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on God's deliverance. But if you do today walk through this process, you are going to be brought to a greater worship of your Savior. You're going to be brought to a greater intimacy with your Lord Jesus. Only Jesus truly delivers, and he delivers in this way. He delivers first by allowing you to feel the dregs of sorrow. Jesus delivers you first by allowing you to feel the dregs of sorrow. And second, he delivers you by leading you to find true hope in him. 
So first, he allows you to feel the dregs of sorrow, and then he leads you to find true hope in him. So we're going to look at that first point. Jesus, when he first delivers you, allows you to feel the dregs of sorrow. Read with me in verse 1 of chapter 126. It says, A song of sense, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. As you read the Psalm 126, you're going to see this first verse that says here, a song of sense. Now, this, this word, song of sense, was written in the original Hebrew text. So it is inspired by God. From this notation, what you can see is that we can understand how these psalms were used. Historians now know how these psalms were used from this notation for certain. Because of this notation, we know that psalms were used as worship songs. They were used as songs people used to worship. Perhaps the song was used in the Jewish worship when they come to the yearly worship in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Perhaps some even say as they climbed the Mount Zion, each step they took, they sing one of these songs. Now these songs were sung during celebratory times when they come and worship God. But the quick glimpse of the lyrics of the song tells us perhaps it was not used as a party music. Everyone who reads the lyrics of these songs, who sing the actual content of these songs, understand the history of what happened in those days. The psalm starts off with these words. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Some of your translation reads, when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion. That actually probably translates with a little more accuracy. However, the words here sets the history for the whole psalm. After the nation of Israel was established, under the rule of King David and King Solomon, the nation of Israel flourished. Nations after nations outside of Israel were bringing tributes to Israel. They're coming and bowing down to Israel. See, God blessed Israel in such a way that caused other nations envy. They, they, worked, they, they did not know how Israel actually rose up to be such a prominent nation among all the other nations. So all the other nations came to, to, to ask questions, to, to, to bring tributes to King David and King Solomon. God blessed Israel because Israel obeyed God. The psalm which you're reading, however, now takes place in a complete different time period. It's taking place now in a time period of the Jewish captivity. The nation of Israel at this time was completely destroyed by the nation of Babylon. See, at the end of the destruction of Jerusalem by, by the nation of Babylon, the Israelites were exiled. They were taken captives. All the people were moved, literally they were moved out of Jerusalem and out of the surrounding cities into Babylon. The book of Jeremiah details for us why that happened. Why Israel went from a prosperous nation to a nation of defeat. You can turn with me or you can just listen to me. I'm going to read from Lamentations chapter 1, verse 5. Talking about Israel, Jeremiah wrote, Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper. Because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. So here, Jeremiah 
in the book of Lamentation gave reasons why Israel went into captivity. Israel went into captivity because they sinned. Because they sinned in multitudes of transgressions before God. Unlike King David, during this time, people were worshiping false gods. They completely disobeyed God. They completely ignored God. They sinned against God in the most abhorrent ways. They worshiped other gods. They even offered their own children as sacrifices on the altar to, to burn for these other gods. And they refused to repent when God calls them to repent. So God gave them warning after warning after warning. And finally, through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, Repent, or the Babylonians are going to come and take you into captivity. But they just laughed. They laughed at Jeremiah. They laughed at God. And finally, it happened. It happened. God disciplined them. And maybe this kind of discipline feels familiar to you at some point in your life. Perhaps at one time in your life, you were rolling high. You, you didn't care for one thing in the world. You, you did not know God. You perhaps chose to ignore God when other people told you about him. However, it did not really matter to you in those times of your life. Everything comes so smoothly to you. You are earning money. You are living high. You, you spend as, money, as much money as you needed. You live arrogantly your circumstances. Your work was successful. You thought opportunities were always going to come, and they were coming to you. Many opportunities were coming to you. You just, you perhaps even wasted it. You just didn't care. You thought, yeah, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing. You credit your achievement to yourself. When other people come and ask you, well, how did you do this? You say, I did it. I made it happen. Just do this. Just do that. You can do it too. But I did it because I was smart. I made it happen. I worked hard. Everyone looked up to you. Without much crediting, with much praying, without much praying, you achieved everything that you set your mind to. And then something happened. Perhaps an accident happened to you. Perhaps a calamity happened to you. Perhaps a circumstance, particular circumstance changed. Perhaps a relationship which you enjoyed was severed. And through the happening of this particular event, Everything changed. Everything started going downhill. You're now, today, struggling. You're wondering if you can overcome your circumstances. You're wondering if you can ever become free of debt. Or you're wondering if you can ever leave your toxic relationship. You're wondering if your life can ever change now. You reflect on the good old days. The good old days where you worry for nothing, good old days where work was easy, the good old days where opportunities kept coming, you reflect on those days. You wish that you can just return to even just one of the opportunities that which you enjoy in the good old days, but you don't see those opportunities coming to you anymore. You're growing older. And as you're praying, you're praying, you're praying to God to deliver you from the trials and the difficulties you're facing, to restore you to even just that one success which you experienced in the past to give you a break. But you don't see those things coming, and you lost hope. Or perhaps you're living right now in the consequence of a past sin. You know, I dream about not sinning in the ways which I did, in my arrogance, and caused me years and years of suffering. I remember spending years watching people younger than me, becoming married, entering into ministry, raising kids, 
while feeling my life was on hold. I just, God didn't give me any of those things. I wasn't married. I was, nobody's calling me to be their pastor. I dreamed of walking with more humility in the times where I was enjoying more fruitful ministry. And I dreamed of not behaving so arrogantly in those times which caused some of my relationships to become severed and lost opportunities. I remember walking through and I was living lonely lives and people were asking me how I was doing. So I attempted to be strong. I attempted to appear strong and said, yeah, I'm doing good. But inside, I'm actually feeling really weak. I was feeling a great deep sorrow over a past arrogance. And all of our experiences of sorrow over our sins and all your experience, all of our experience of our sorrow over our sin today, God gives us this message. He says this. He says, I love you. He loves you in all your experiences of sorrow over your sin. You see, God never keeps you in a state of sorrow simply because he is going to punish you. See, he never, God never is going to punish you because he already punished Jesus. Do you understand this? God is not punishing you today. If you feel God's punishing you, forget it. That's, you're believing a lie straight from hell. God does not punish you because he already punished Jesus. He sees you today as a precious son, as a precious daughter. He loves you as a perfect, sinless person. He looks at you as if he sees Jesus himself. In fact, he removed all condemnation against you already. He loves you with unconditional love. In love, actually, now, He's teaching you. He's teaching you through these feelings of sorrow which you are experiencing. He's using sorrow, which the scripture calls godly sorrow, to lead you to a greater repentance. He's using the sorrow to lead you toward holiness. He's using the sorrow to give you a dream, a dream of what life can be if you obey him. And he brought this process of sorrow upon the Israelites in the psalm who were held in captivity. And the Israelites, as you read, they dreamed. Psalm 137, you can turn just two pages in your Bible. If you turn to Psalm 137, starting from verse 1, we can read about what the Israelites were feeling when they're held in captives in Babylon. It says in Psalm 137, verse 1, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remember Zion, on the willows there we haunt our lyres. For there our captors required us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not say Jerusalem above my highest joy. So in captivity, the Jews, they mourned. They wept. But most important of all, they remembered God. They remembered Jerusalem. The sorrow and the pain of circumstances which led the Israelites to dream, it caused them to turn to God. 
And like the Israelites, the sorrow and the pain that you and I experience, you know what you experience. I know what I experience. The pain and the circumstances that we experience today, God allows us to experience these things because they are also leading us to turn to God. And like the Israelites today, we also dream. In dreaming, we dream of a life of following Jesus in holiness. In dreaming, we are determined not to sin in the same manner which we did or take God for granted ever again. So the Lord uses such feelings of sorrow, this dreaming, to prepare us for deliverance. But ultimately, God does not keep us in sorrow just to keep us in sorrow. He allows us to feel these dregs of sorrow to prepare us for what comes next. And what comes next is this. God leads us to find true hope in Him. God leads us to find true hope in Him. So read with me, starting from verse 2, going back to Psalm 126. Verse 2, we're going to read to the last verse of this chapter. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing in his sheaves with him. So when the Lord brought back, finally, the captives were held in Babylon, or at that time the land of the Persian and the Medes, they were like those who dreamed. God's deliverance completely shocked the Israelites. King Cyrus of the Persian Medes issued a shocking and a sudden decree in 538 B.C. saying the Jews now, you may go home. And when it happened, it felt as if they were dreaming because it was so surreal. They imagined this moment all their life as we read in Psalm 137. And it was finally, finally coming true. They were saying as if, don't pinch me or I'm going to wake up. From this wonderful dream. But then realized that they weren't dreaming. It was actually happening. Under the first return under Zerubbabel, about 50,000 Jews returned home at that time, caravaning home on their camels. And just what this verse is saying, their mouth at that time was filled with laughter, and their tongue was shouts of joy. The Egyptians traveling the opposite direction, going up the Mesopotamia, were asking, hey, Hey, I heard this news that King Cyrus issued a decree that you all can't go home. And they responded saying, yes, yes, the Lord, he did this. He demonstrated his faithfulness. He kept his promise toward us. He has done great things for us. And we are glad. Imagine all the kids were coming home. They were running back and forth in the caravan. Among the camels, among the people who were traveling, asking their grandpas, Grandpa, Grandpa, what was Jerusalem like? What was the temple like? And remember, the Israelites were held captives in Babylon for 70 years. So for the grandpa, they're still alive to answer that question. Say if they were 10 years old when they're taken captive, they're 80 years old now. And you know everything looked bigger when you're 10 years old. Everything looked a lot bigger to a 10-year-old. So as they were carrying back, the grandpas were telling them, well, you know, 
the temple was amazing. You know, the tall, the walls were this tall and majestic, and it was majestic. And, and Jerusalem, it's just, if you walk in there, you can see this amazing temple, amazing majestic buildings. But then they arrived. They arrived. Standing in front of the city, they saw no walls. They saw no temple. They actually come back to a land that was completely torn apart by war. The temple was actually completely burned to the ground. The walls of the city already crumpled. Weeds were growing everywhere. And the old man stood in front of the city in shock. Somehow, they remember the city differently. Then they realized perhaps the good old days were already gone. So reading from verse 4 of chapter 126, Psalm, you can sense the shift. They can sense the shift in mood. And somehow the psalmist moves from a joyous note to a somber note. He says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. As the Israelites were coming back to the land, 70 years, 70 years, no one sowed or plowed the fields in Jerusalem. For 70 years, nobody grew anything from the land. But they're now coming back, abandoning all that they built in the land of Babylon. And the Persian means they, all, the, all the years of building, they abandoned all of it to come back to this land which they dreamed about. But now they're starting over. And much like the city of Los Angeles, which we all live in, no major river runs through Israel. If you ever went to Israel, you know this. No major river runs through Israel. Israel was always dependent upon rain, heavy rain, to grow their crops. So if you ever go visit Israel, if you go to the south part, the southern part of Israel, you're going to see these dry riverbeds in the south, a place called the Negev. Normally, no water flows through these dry riverbeds until heavy rains happen or curse in the north. The heavy rain in the north causes this flash flooding to the south to, the, to fill up these dry riverbeds. As flash floods come and go, they provide the water to the land. And a few, years, a few days later, a few days later, among these dry riverbeds, this brownish riverbed, you begin to see flower, you begin to see grass, greenery appear. And all of a sudden, this brownish riverbed turns into a greenish, beautiful landscape. And so the Israelites ask God here for this rain. You know, I hear, I heard about a story about a man who lived at that time. You know, I don't know him personally. I just know that he existed. He came back to this land with the other Israelites, with other families. And coming back, coming back to land, he did his best to provide for his family. And like the rest of Israel, he felt really, really excited. He was really looking forward to coming back. However, upon settling his family in the land, he wakes up early every morning. Every morning he wakes up early. He goes out into the field. He works hard, seeking and hoping to grow something from the land so his family can live. He works hard the whole day. And he comes home late. The first year did not produce much. Well, he probably expected it. 
but the next year did not produce much either. Years come and years go. His family struggled to live. And after one day, after coming home, his wife cooks dinner. Feeling so hungry from a full days of work, still his wife, still he told his wife, he told his wife to put more on the kids' plates. And so they did. But after the kids ate, the kids still come to the parents and say, we're still hungry, can we, can we please eat more? When the father heard this, he cannot bear any more with himself. He rose abruptly from the table. He walked out of the house into the field. We made sure that no one was watching him. This burly man broke down. He knelt down to the ground and he cried. And after a few minutes, hearing his wife coming out, he took his sleeves and he wiped away the tears. And he took his bag of seed and one by one, carefully, he places them into the ground. He buries it. He prays because now Yahweh must bring rain. So read about, we today, all of us, read about this man here in verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed or sowing. The Israelites prayed for deliverance. And God delivered. They were praying for deliverance in the land of Babylon. And God delivered. Among the midst of the sorrow and the sadness which they were experiencing, they were looking for God to deliver them out of Babylon. Desire so much to come to back to come back to their own land. And they did. However, the deliverance looked a little different, or perhaps much different, than what they were expecting. God's deliverance came about in an actual totally different way than what they imagined. Coming back into the land, life felt really hard. They're now struggling to find enough to eat and cannot control, and they cannot control the circumstances, which mainly was the rain, which determines how much crop they're going to receive. We too, in our lives, often ask God, to deliver us. Do you? In your prayers, do you ask God to deliver you? I hope so. And we dictate to God what that deliverance looks like, right? I mean, we imagine, you know, deliverance should look like, you know, it means I'm not going to deal with this, I'm not going to deal with that, I'm going to have this. We fight with God, actually, year after year. Because somehow the deliverance looks a little different. We ask God, God, why does this happen to me? Why does that happen to me? Why is that? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I dealing with that again? Can I please not deal with this anymore? Can I please not deal with that anymore? We tell God, God, it just feels like nothing ever stops. Do you do that? It feels like life is something always wrong. So year after year, we complain, we complain to God. But you know what this passage teaches us here? What this passage teaches us here is that when God delivers you from a trial, he never delivers you into a place where you're not going to need him anymore. That's what we're asking, but God doesn't do that. When God delivers us from a trial, he delivers 
us to a place of dependence. Do you understand? When God delivers you from a trial, He's going to deliver you into a place of dependence. He delivers you so that you may once again find yourself dependent upon Him. And He does so because He's teaching you that you cannot live without Him. He's teaching you that He actually is your true hope. So God always provides, and he actually always delivers. And here, further illustration, he says here in verse 6, he who goes out weeping, verse 6, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds for sowing, shall come home with shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. See, God provided Israelites with everything they needed as they looked to him as their only hope. And if God did that for the Israelites in this passage, God does so for each one of us. He provides to us everything we need as well as we look to him as our true hope. And here, if you read this word in verse 6, goes out. This word here, goes out. Some of your translations translate to and fro, which I think uh, sounds a little more accurate. But however, in the word, the Hebrew word here suggests Duration. The Hebrew here actually suggests continuance. God uses word here to teach us that deliverance is going to look like this. It's going to look like that you're going to go out weeping, but you're going to come come back home with shouts of joy. In fact, you going out weeping and coming back with shouts of joy is going to continue as a pattern of your life in the deliverance of God. We are always going to go out weeping. If you're, today, if you're looking for deliverance, if you're looking for deliverance, if you're wondering what deliverance looks like for you, what is that going to entail? What is your life going to look like? Know this. It's going to look like this. And this is going to continue as a pattern of your life. You're going to go out. You're going to weep. You're going to sow seeds. You're going to continue to take steps of faith in your life. But God is going to demonstrate his faithfulness towards us. We are always going to come back home rejoicing, declaring his goodness. That's going to continue as a pattern. Don't look for anything else. Don't look to, learn, earn the, don't look to win the lottery. <laughs> that's, not, that's not God's, you know, don't think that's God's, do not think that's God's will for you. Understand that God desires for you to keep weeping because you're going to take, out, take steps of faith in your life on this earth but you are going to experience his goodness as he delivers you from each and every one of the circumstances. So for many of us, as we weep, work, and wait, understand he's going to deliver us in each one of our circumstances. God is leading us to look to him as our true hope. So here we see this. He first delivers us by allowing us to feel the dregs of sorrow, and then second, he allows us, or he leads us to find true hope in him. And because he does all these things, we can wait unto the Lord with full confidence. We can wait unto the Lord with full confidence. So wait. So wait. And we can stop running around anxiously. We can 
We can, our hearts can change from an anxious heart to, the, to a heart of peace. So whatever sits on your mind today and whatever is bringing you anxiety in your mind today, throughout your week, and you, as you're sitting here wondering what's God going to say, what's God going to tell you, I challenge you today, and perhaps the Lord is challenging you today, through his word, to wait on him, to wait on him. But this also means that as we gather as a church, Whenever we see another brother or sister, and many of us, many of you, I come here as a new, as a, as a visitor, but many of you know each other already. And perhaps you know that each one of you guys are, you know the story of one another person. Perhaps you know that this brother or the sister is suffering, is going through a difficulty, is going through a trial. Today, we can give each other hugs. You know, we can pray for one another. We can love one another. But we can understand, ultimately, that God places suffering and sorrow in our lives as a necessary step for each one of us, actually, to find hope in Christ. So we can love one another, we can counsel one another, we may even offer some earthly solution to maybe fix a problem, but that's not even the point. Because when God places sorrow and suffering, he places it in our lives as a necessary step for us to find hope in Jesus. So we can give hugs to another person, but ultimately, we're to come alongside that person to find out what God is teaching that person, what God is leading that person to, to help that person to find true hope in Jesus. Because ultimately, when I go through that time, somebody is going to do it for me. You understand? Each one of us are going to go through trials, and it's going to feel horrible. But we need each other. We're going we're gonna, to, God uses one another to help us to understand that this is all going to point to Jesus. And that's the greatest hope that we can ever, ever rest in. In a church plant where we planted five years ago, when we're sharing the gospel with the urban community, there was a man who was coming out of the 18th Street gang. He heard the gospel coming to our church, and God turned his life around. He started trusting and believing in Jesus through this time, and he was bringing his family to church. His family didn't really come a lot because his wife was working a lot. So one night, while he was sleeping next to his wife, he died. He died of cardiac arrest when he was like 35 years old. And being his, his wife was just completely shocked. Like, it's like weeping next to him. And she called the ambulance while he was sitting, while he was still, like, like process of dying. She called us as a church because he was turning his life around. She wasn't going to call the gang members again. She wasn't going to call us because we were becoming his new friends, new best friends. We're his family. As a church, we came alongside of her and we walked with her through this difficult trial. We performed his funeral and from the death of this man, she started coming to church and a year later, she professed Jesus and she was baptized. See, the Lord plays the most difficult situation in her life. But yet, through this most difficult trial, the Lord also gave her the greatest deliverance as she ever experienced. God is going to deliver the way that he envisions. And if we deliver us according to the way he envisions, always, always result in our best. So knowing to all of us today, we can trust in the Lord we can today, even though you're going through some hard things, I know, 
you can choose and you are going to experience joy and hope in Christ if you trust in him. Because if you do, Jesus, in this process of deliverance that he's putting all of us in, he fills our hearts with his peace. It actually fills our hearts with himself and he satisfies us. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we come before your word and just resting, Lord, in your presence. Lord, we know that many of us are going through some difficulties, God, and perhaps some physical difficulty, perhaps some spiritual difficulty, perhaps some financial difficulties. And Lord, we, I mean, we, we can think of all the earthly solutions. But God, we're just really looking forward to you today. We're looking for your deliverance. We're looking that we can know you more. We're looking that we can experience you more. We're looking for your intimacy. But we're looking to be brought to our knees so we can come to worship you, God. So God, just bring us to that place. Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name.